John 14, 1 through 11, page 1070. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen me. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Turn to John chapter 14. Keep your place there. We're going to be all over the place today. We're talking about the incarnation. It's Christmas time, the most wonderful time of the year. We've been talking about the incarnation for the, for the past several weeks. This is part three, sermon titled, Why God Became Man. love the music, love the Christmas carols, the hymns. I love the, the new songs that our team's prepared and been singing. I want to encourage you to come Christmas Eve. Five o'clock, it's early, so if you have things to do, you'll be able to get there. It's going to be really short. We're going to sing. We're going to read scripture, have prayer time. We're going to share the gospel. It's going to be a really sweet time. We're going to do it here in the sanctuary, kind of a cozy, sweet uh, time together. So I encourage you, if you have family members, if you have a, a family shindig to get to, come, bring your family, and this will be a part of it. Uh, we'll, I, I'll give you my word, we'll be out quickly. We won't tarry long. You'll be able to get to your family engagements and parties and whatnot, but I encourage you to come to that. But the incarnation wasn't plan B, this visit to by the Lord to planet Earth was always the plan from before time began. And we know that because the Spirit of Christ, hundreds of years before Jesus took on flesh, predicted his, his own death and resurrection. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh, which means he had a human nature. He didn't lay aside his divine nature, but simultaneously had a divine nature and a uh, human nature at the same time. He was... He had this human nature from the time he was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. But he had a truly human mind, body. He had will and emotion while at the same time, at the same time, upholding the world. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, this picture, if you will, of the baby Jesus lying in the, in the arms of his mother Mary, being needy and dependent upon her, but at the same time, at the same time, sustaining the order of the world. It's a mystery, isn't it? 
It's amazing in 1 Timothy 3.16, Rodney read that text for us, but it is indeed a mystery. But today, let's understand why God became a man. And we won't look at all the reasons, but for today, why God became a man. First reason, he came to reveal God to man. Think about this for a moment. God is spirit. That means he's invisible. He's unseen. But we do get glimpses of him. If you think about the created world, we, we see God has revealed himself and his omnipotence through the created world. Even though we look in the world today and it's, there's wickedness and disorder, they abound, right, in this sinful world, but that's because of sinful man and sinful man's decisions. But there is also, in this chaotic world we live in, there is also a sense of order because the Lord has created it and is sustaining it. For example, beautiful day today, isn't it? The sun rose this morning in the east as it does every morning. And guess what? About 5 o'clock it's going to set where? In the west as it does every day. Yeah, you're thinking about it, aren't you? West, east, you're kind of getting your bearings. It's duck season. Birds are migrating as they do every year. Gets cold, they head south. The leaves have turned and have, most of them have fallen off the trees just as they do every year. There is order. There is order in what God has made. And because of that order, because of what He has made, we, have, we can know that there is a God, there is an intelligent design and response for making it and also sustaining it. We see that Paul writes Romans chapter 1 verse 18 through 20. Again, bear with me. We're going to put a lot of our text on the, the screen here. We're going to be kind of all over the place today. But Romans chapter 1, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, right, his omnipotence, and divine nature have been clearly perceived. We can see it. We can see it. We get glimpses of it, right? Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. It's clear there is a God who has created this world. He's made it plain. It's on display for all to see. Doesn't matter if they've heard the gospel or not. No matter what corner of the world you go to, people are without excuse because God has made himself, he's revealed himself as the creator of the world. And what has the pagan, what has the unbeliever done? They've suppressed that truth and unbelief. Only those who have an abnormal or distorted or a biased mind can possibly deny God's existence. So God reveals himself in what he's created. God also has revealed himself through the prophets. Prophets like who? You may name a prophet. Moses. Yeah. Anybody else? Isaiah. Good. Someone else? Hosea, Micah, Haggai. Yeah, Jeremiah. Yeah, these prophets, the Old Testament prophets. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, in the Old Testament days, right? At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Yeah. So God has revealed his will to the prophets. That's what he would tell Isaiah. He would tell these different prophets, Jeremiah, go tell the king, and he would deliver his words. This is my will. This is what you should do. So through the prophets in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Israel was able to see, get glimpses of God, his character, and his will. Also in the Old Testament law, think about that. If you read Psalm 119 and Psalm 19, the Old Testament law also reveals God's will. We can know God's desires through his commands, through his precepts. But these are all glimpses. And we, this, it's this revelation that's taken place since the creation of the world. It's progressive, right? Little by little, by little, by little, by little, by little. But there's this climax when Jesus is, is, is born in Bethlehem. Jesus came on the scene. He took on flesh so that all that saw Jesus would see God. This was a plan from the beginning. For God to reveal that He exists in creation. It's His plan from the beginning to reveal His will through the prophets, through His law. And His progressive revelation, it continues as the nation of Israel learned God's character as they studied the law and they were taught the law. And we too, we, we reap the benefits of that, don't we? We can read the law and, and also see God and his character and his will. But God wants to be seen and known in his son. John chapter 14 that Chase read for us. This, is, this takes place after the Last Supper. Jesus just told his disciples, if you read the, the 13th chapter of John, he just told the disciples there, that one of them is going to betray him. And so he has this conversation with Philip. But it wasn't just for Philip, it was for the entire group, and of course it's for us as well. But Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He's preparing them, has been preparing them for three years. He keeps telling them, prophesying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, and this is how I'm going to die. Every time he shares that with his disciples, he gives them a little bit more information. Even as, as verse 2 and 3 of, of John 14, Jesus departing is for their own good. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But even after he leaves, he knows that to the disciples, God is going to seem very distant. But Jesus wants them to know that they have seen the Father because the Son has revealed the Father to them. And, and Philip in verse 8 says, show us the Father. Philip thinks if he could just see God, he'll have a stronger faith. And we do the same, don't we? Boy, if I could just see water turn to wine. Well, maybe that was a bad example, right? But if we could just see these miracles that the people in the New Testament saw and the Old Testament saw, if we could just see these things, these miracles take place. If we could just see Jesus, maybe see his face, touch him, then, then our faith will be increased. Show us the Father, Philip says. Well, we know in John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him, he has made him known. No one's ever seen God. Look at verse 9. What does Jesus tell them? 
Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? You of all people, you ought to know. You're one of my closest friends, my chosen ones, right? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So when the Word became flesh, He brought to us a more adequate revelation of Himself. What creation revealed, what the prophets and the law, the old covenant revealed, were all dwarfed by the incarnate Son. The humility, the love, the the grace, the justice, the patience, the self-control of God is seen clearly in the Son who took on flesh and walked among us. What does God look like? How does God conduct himself? How would God handle this situation? How would God handle that situation? We now know. We have the revelation in purest form, Jesus Christ incarnate. Why did Jesus take on flesh and tabernacle among sinful man to reveal God to man? The second reason Jesus took on flesh is he came to reveal man to himself. Think about how we compare ourselves to one another. As we look around the room, we always can find somebody that's less moral than we are, less faithful than we are, less pious than we are. And as we make comparisons, we make ourselves typically look good. We try not to compare ourselves to to really godly folks. That makes us feel bad. We don't like doing that, do we? But it makes us, as we compare ourselves to one another, it makes us look better than we actually are. It makes ourselves look better than we actually are in God's eyes. And how God sees us is who we really are. What did God do? He created man perfectly. Adam and Eve, they were perfect and they were put in the garden and God gave them a command. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any other tree in the garden. Don't eat from this tree. Of course, Adam and Eve, they both sinned. Eve was deceived by the serpent. She ate. She gave to her husband and he also ate. They both rebelled against the Lord. They both sinned. And the consequences were that Adam would die. One of the curses on man was that he would return to dust. From dust you are made to dust you will return. He'll die physically. He died spiritually. Adam and Eve, they were expelled from the garden. In such a moment that, that God put a, an angel at the gate to assure that they couldn't re-enter. So there's physical death, there's spiritual death. And as federal head of all mankind, Adam would pass on his sinful nature to all who came after him. His sinful nature, his guilt, was imputed to the entire human race. And so, the greatest acts of the most moral human beings are not admired by the Lord. In fact... The things we consider righteous are, as Isaiah 64 tells us, like filthy rags. The noblest of people are of ill repute to God. 
And although all men, all men are not equally corrupt in how they act, all are nonetheless equally dead in their sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, In Adam all die. For as by a man came death, by a man has also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. And that's, we're all in Adam, so we're all spiritually dead. So in order for us to know what condition we we're actually in, the Son of God needed to come and live as light among men. John 15, verse 22 through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, Jesus speaking, of course, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not, if, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. It says they have no excuse for their sin. They're not, they won't be guilty of sin. If I hadn't done this, if I hadn't came, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. Does that mean that before Christ there was no sin in the world? Of course, No, we've just said that. All that are in Adam are in sin. We're all guilty. We have a sin nature. We're all culpable and blameworthy before the Lord. Well, what does this mean? We have no excuse for their sin. They have no excuse for their sin if I hadn't come. Or they wouldn't be guilty of their sin. What does Jesus do? What does light do to a dark room? It lights it up. Jesus came as light in a dark world. Before Jesus came, people were, could be a bit arrogant, and they could put on airs that they were good people. That's what the religious leaders did, didn't they? Everybody thought they were the cream of the crop. They were something else. But what did Jesus, when he came, what did he do? Exposed them for what they really were. His perfection, his holiness, his love caused the unbelieving to, to hate them. They were such good folks before Jesus came. Before he showed up, what did they do? They honored the religious leaders, right? They gave them the, the places of honor in every banquet. When they walked through the marketplace, they walked through the city, people honored them and paid homage to them. They'd get moved to the front of the line. They'd get special discounts because they were considered holy and righteous. Did they love the light? The Scripture's evidence tells us no, they didn't. They hated it because it exposed their lives as dark. We see this again in John three nineteen through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So Jesus was lying. And what did he do? He exposed sinners. Why did, they, why did the religious leaders of Jesus' day work so deliberately to, to have him put on trial, to have him put to death? Because he exposed them. That light in the darkness exposed them. Jesus showed them up. 
They hated to hear. We've never heard teaching like this. They've been teaching all along. We've never heard anybody teach this way. It's amazing. It's incredible. We've never seen miracles like this. There's, this man's powerful. He can do things only God can do. Yeah, they hated it. They were malicious and they were jealous and they put him to death. But even today, many folks are the same way, right? They don't want to hear the teaching of Jesus. I wouldn't dare want to go to church and hear a sermon. I don't read the Bible. I want to hear about what Jesus taught because when we hear about what the things Jesus says, it exposes our sin, our sexual immorality, our idolatry, our selfishness, our wickedness is exposed, and we feel bad about ourselves. That's why Jesus came, to show us who we really were, who we really are. The Son of God came to reveal God to man. He came to reveal man to himself. And, of course, he came to redeem man, didn't he? Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, tells us clearly this is one purpose of Jesus taking on flesh. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive Adoption as sons. The Old Covenant contains the record of about 4,000 years of sin, rebellion, human failure, and divine judgment. But the hope has always been, you remember the hope? We saw it back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That was a couple weeks ago. These prophecies, right, that foretold of the second person of the Trinity taking on flesh and becoming a man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the, the serpent crusher, right? The hope that the serpent crusher, the, the seed of Eve, the descendant of both Abraham and David would come as a, Isaiah said, the suffering servant, right? To save man from their sin. The baby born in Bethlehem, what was his name to be? Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Joseph found out that his fiance, his bride-to-be, was with child. I don't mess up a wedding in a hurry. But the angel came and assured him that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It tells us, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Yeah, what's his name mean? It means Savior, right? Luke chapter 2, the angels. They announced to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Even the Lord Jesus himself in Luke chapter 19, you see this is one of the, probably the theme of the book of Luke. Jesus said about himself, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to reveal God to man. He came to reveal man to himself. He came to redeem man. The question, I guess, today is, have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed by the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb? And lastly... 
came to destroy the work of Satan. We see this specifically in Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 14 there. Verse 14. Go back. There you go. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery to who? To the devil, right? So what did Jesus do when he came and took on flesh? He redeemed man, but he did a work so that those of us who believe could be freed from the power of Satan and set free from the devil and his work. Of course, that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15. The serpent crusher would come to free sinners from bondage. Let's go back to that question by, just by way of application. Have you been redeemed by the Savior. Jesus took on flesh and lived the life that we must live. In order to approach God and order to have a relationship with the Holy God, the one who's created all things, we have to live a perfect life. We have to love God with all our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves completely. And none of us have done that. But Jesus did. He took on flesh. He's the only man to live that perfect life that we must live. He didn't just live it to be our example, but he lived it so that we could be redeemed. He went to the cross where he was executed. I would say for no reason. My meaning is he wasn't guilty. He shouldn't have been put to death, but he voluntarily yielded up his life to make atonement for sinners like you and me. He was put in the grave, and just as the prophets foretold, on the third day he rose from the dead. So you and I could be made right with God. So you take that complete work of Christ coming, taking on flesh, completing the law, living out the law, taking on the punishment that lawbreakers deserve and conquering death by rising from the dead. Jesus did all that for sinners. And the Bible says if we'll acknowledge our sin, we'll confess our sin and turn from our sin and trust that all the work that Jesus did, he did for us. If we'll trust that that work is sufficient for us to be saved, the Bible says that we'll be forgiven, we'll be justified, we'll be made right with God. And that's what all of us need to do. That's what Christmas is all about. Have you been redeemed by the incarnate God-man, Jesus Christ? My prayer is that you have. If you haven't, you should repent today. You should repent today. I know some of you have been, you have family members have been praying for you. Some of you children, students, some of you adults, you got family members have been praying for you for a long time. What's keeping you from yielding your life to Christ? What's keeping you from turning from your life of sin and living for yourself and 
What's keeping you from living, for living wholeheartedly for Jesus? What is it? In the big picture, is it work? Is that, does that matter? We're on Tuesday. We're going to have a, a funeral. We're going to we're going to celebrate the life of Uncle Vinoy, and we're going to have a we're going to laugh and we're going to cry. And we're going to share the gospel. You know, all that really matters, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have, no matter what kind of house you live in, what kind of success or lack of success you've had in your life, all that matters is if you've yielded to the Lord. Do you walk with God? Do you love Jesus? That's all that matters. Isn't it crazy how much energy and time we spend with our kids? trying to get them to be good ball players, good students, good this, good that. And we spend so little time trying to be good Jesus lovers. It's really ridiculous. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you are our exemplar, you are our savior, you are our creator. And you've given us commands that we're to live by and we've all broken them. And we're so depraved. None of us are, are good. And we look to compare ourselves to others. And we always can find some low life that's worse than we are. But Father, the truth of the matter is compared to you, we're, we're desperately wicked. And our what we deserve is your, your worst, your wrath. But because Christ came and he took on flesh and you've had this grand plan for the second person of the Trinity, the God-man, to come and to live for us and to die for us and to be raised for us so that we can have eternal life, we can have a relationship with you. And Father, there's some children here, maybe students and adults, that maybe they've yet to yield their lives to you. And Father, we spin our wheels. We spend a lot of energy and time trying to do a lot of things, but we spend very little time trying to be godly, trying to live for you. We want to live a certain way and, and look a certain way so, so other people will think well of us. And yet you see every motive. Father, may we be broken over our sin. For the church, may we be broken. And may we once again yield ourselves to you. May our desire be to, to glorify you and make you look good among the nations. And Father, for those that are lost, children, adults, students, may you break their hearts over sin. Our purpose in life is to know you and to make you known. And Father, if there's any that's not doing that, may you bring conviction even today. And may you grant repentance and faith for those who are lost. Father, we thank you for the work you've done. So many testimonies in this room. But Father, most likely lost people here that need to be saved.
May you save them in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning.